Welcome to Maker Mixtapes. I'm Tom Watley, and in this episode, I'm joined by Rand Fishkin to talk about audience intelligence, startup growth, and Steven Universe. Maker Mixtapes is a podcast about the entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers building impressive things in their field. From content marketing and YouTube and growth to agency life and e-commerce, it's my job to dissect their success. As I mentioned, today I'm joined by Rand Fishkin, co-founder of SparkToro, an audience intelligence platform that he built after leaving his CEO title at Moz. He spills the beans on why and how he created SparkToro, his content strategy, and why he favors agencies over full-time employees, at least in the early days. We also talk about an increasingly important topic on how businesses can be more conscious of their actions and the impact they make in the world. And there's a lot of gold in this conversation, and I had a tremendous amount of fun recording it, so do enjoy. Cool. Rand, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. Tom, it's wonderful to be here. So, most people have come to know you as the founder of Moz, as well as an SEO expert and tinkerer, for lack of a better word. But more recently, after handing the keys for Moz to Sarah Bird, you've been working hard building SparkToro. Can you tell us a little bit about this journey from the Moz to SparkToro and more importantly, why you decided to build it? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I had been CEO at, at Moz and obviously the founder for, for a long time. I think I was there a total of 17 years. But when I, yeah, that's like it, almost exactly the amount of time that people have with their kids, right? Yeah, before college. <laughs> yeah, before college, right. In my last few years at Moz, I, I came to this place of, of wanting to help people uh, with marketing that wasn't just getting traffic from Google and Facebook, right? And, um, and, and part of that is, is my own kind of like political and socioeconomic beliefs, which are, which are basically like, I think um, income inequality and power distribution in, in our current system is broken. Right. I, I, I generally believe that in order to have a healthy economy, a healthy politic, a healthy society, you want lots of little businesses with, you know, relatively small amounts of comparative power competing against one another. Like capitalism works really well in those situations when you get one or two businesses, a Google, a Facebook dominating an industry, dominating a field that's bad for all of us. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of having these thoughts and I'm, I'm coming around to this realization. And so when I left Moz, part of me wanted to, in fact, the, the primary part was like, how do I, could I build a business that would work in that way, right? That would work with the philosophy that, that I'm coming around to, that would help marketers find publications, sources of influence, YouTube channels, podcasts, like the one we're on, right? That, that reach an audience without having to go through Facebook and Google, without having to pay them or be subservient to their algorithms and their systems. And you know, in, in practicing that, the beautiful thing is if you get coverage and talked about and linked to and, and get your content and your brand out there on all these other platforms, Facebook and Google start to work better for you. And so that is essentially the, the idea that, you know, behind SparkToro, like if you could figure out all the places to reach your audience without those two properties, you could do marketing of all kinds in those places. And the, the fundamental flaw that I saw in the system was that it was just really hard for marketers like you and I to figure that out. 
100%. I think the term that comes to mind listening to you is the unbundling of attention almost. You know, it reminds me of the mm. IRC days back in the early noughties. I used to make um, indie games and we would talk about them on, on small IRC channels, oh, yeah. right? And I kind of miss those days. So it's almost kind of looking at where those pockets of attention are, right? Yeah, yeah. Like being able to find whatever it is, you know, um, a forum or you know, a, a, a hashtag that people are using on Twitter and Instagram that's getting a bunch of following or a website, a niche community, a YouTube channel, um, a, a, a podcast, right? A source of social influence, like finding those channels and being able to play in those places, participate in those spaces can be very, very rewarding. And, and it works really well for a lot of small and medium businesses. Like, look, if you need traffic at scale, and you have hundreds of millions of dollars to throw at it, yeah, probably you're going to go to Facebook and Google or if you're an e-commerce Amazon. But if not, you, you want those niche influencers and, and sources to be able to reach your audience. And when you do, like the beautiful thing is if your brand gets well-known among an audience, right? When you do decide to run a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or a YouTube pre-roll or a Google display ad or, or ranking Google search, you will get higher click-through rate, higher engagement rate, higher conversion rate because people already know you, like you, trust you. And if you don't, right, if you're brand new to them and you're just advertising, your performance tends to be pretty crappy. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I want to get into those, a couple of those things you just mentioned in a second. But one thing I'm curious about is um, you decided to keep the platform in closed beta for maybe a couple of years. Why did you decide to do that instead of, you know, creating an MVP and getting it to market quickly. Yeah, we, so we started building SparkToro when Casey came on board, which was what, May of 2018. And it basically was a year before we had a beta version. Um, so, you know, lots of data collection and then sort of, you know, tinkering around R&D, building the, uh, the platform. And SparkToro is just Casey and I. So we did not have like a team or anything like that. We did our beta for, I guess we did it in two segments for about seven months. Um, the first was over summer 2019. And the second was sort of winter 2019 into early 2020. <laughs> and then of course, Tom, we, we launched in April of 2020, AKA the worst time to launch a new company in a hundred years. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, the reason we had a very long beta period, the reason we did so much, you know, R&D and testing and sort of, you know, UI and UX fiddling um, is because we wanted, we wanted to have a really exceptional product at launch, right? We wanted people to not look at it and say like, oh, that's kind of a nice first stab, but to give it a spin and be like, whoa, this is really clean. This is really smooth. This is a great experience. I can get really good data on very niche audiences, incredibly fast. It's super performant. It, you know, has great coverage. The data is fresh. Like we wanted all those things to be true uh, for the vast majority of folks who tried it before uh, we went out to launch. And that's because I knew, you know, we'd been building for what, 18 months, we'd been building a list of people, an email list, um, which I highly recommend for every startup and entrepreneur or founder of doing anything uh, of people who basically said, I want access to this when it launches, like email when you launch. That list is how we got our first 150 or so customers, paying customers and, and how we continue to get customers too, right? Like that, that list is a huge driver for the business. But when we emailed them for the first time, 
I knew that like what somewhere between 20 and 50% of them are going to come and they're going to try it. And based on that first experience, that will be what they remember for the next five to 10 years. Right. So like Tom, you go try spark, you know, you get an email from me in whatever it is, March, right. Or April. And you're like, Oh, cool. Spark Toro is ready. This is great. Let me try it. If you don't like it, getting you back sometime in the next four or five years will be incredibly difficult. And if somebody says to you, Hey, did you, uh, you know, have you heard about Rand Fishkin's new thing, Spark Toro? And you're like, yeah, I tried it a few years ago. It kind of sucked. <laughs> like that reputation stays with you forever. If you know, look, if you're a if you're a tiny startup and you don't have a list and you're you know you're launching to whatever twenty customers, all right, fine, go with the MVP. But if you have a lot of people paying attention, you, you got to put out an exceptional product. Absolutely. And full disclaimer, I am a SparkTro customer, and it definitely had that impact for me. And, you know, originally we looked at it as a tool for clients, you know, all the things that you just talked about, finding the right publications and the people to connect with, and it's slowly becoming so much more. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. That is, that's awesome. I mean, to be totally honest, right? Like it, I am very picky. All my years at Moz, I was always like, ah, oh, the product's not good enough. We got to make it better, make it better, make it better. And with SparkToro, I, I very much want to make the product better. And also, um, perhaps because it has very little competition because it's in sort of a new or un undiscovered space, I sort of feel like it's a pretty good product, which, which is weird for me. Right? <laughs> it's weird for me to say that about my own stuff. I, I usually am like, ah, no, it's crap. I need to work on it. The imposter syndrome never goes away. No, it never does. What's, what's <laughs> up with that? Will I, I eventually, will I eventually reach some age where, where I get away from that? I don't know. If you, if you find the antidote, please let me know. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll be sure to uh, alert everyone. One question you asked me a while back uh, was around how I use SparkToro and also what features I would love to see. And one thing I mentioned is, oh, I would love to be able to send emails from within SparkToro. And you rightly said, not really the direction we're going in, but it kind of raised an interesting question around how users use the product in different ways that you weren't expecting. Have you seen any of that? You know, people come back to you and say, oh, this has solved this problem. And you just had no idea that it would do the case until they told you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a team actually that runs a podcast, relatively popular podcast, emailed me, I guess it must have been two or three weeks ago now, like late September, right? And they, um, they emailed and were like, oh, this was awesome. They're not even using the paid version. They were using the free version of SparkToro, but they were like, it was so great. We searched for um, my audience follows, and then they, they put in their own social account, and they looked at the brands that their audience followed and paid attention to. They took screenshots of those, and they emailed those brands and said, hey, you should sponsor our podcast. Genius, right? Like, I, <laughs> I, Anyway, they emailed me because they had found two sponsors, right? Two people who they emailed had said yes. And they were like, SparkToro was what helped us do it. Amazing. I thought that is so crazy cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, wow, look at, look at that. The free version of SparkToro got you uh, two, you know, monthly sponsors for your podcast. That's, that's crazy. What, what a great, what a great use case. Uh, someone else was using it in the, a field I wasn't familiar with at all. Obviously a very important one right now. They do, uh, logistics for medical supplies, including vaccines. So they're they were essentially, they were trying to find the publications in people that reach 
a relatively small audience of people who are in vaccine logistics to target with essentially like a, they, they had excess capacity for distribution and they wanted, and they knew that there was demand for that in this, in this market, but they had to figure out where they could reach those folks. And yeah, we were able to plug in, I think it was like uh, virologist plus logistics and find like a small community overlap in there. Anyway, I, yeah, I was, that was a fascinating, like, oh, that is quite a weird niche, but I love it. Yeah, very, very niche, very unexpected, you know, as a marketer, it's not something that comes to mind as a use case, but also, like you say, so critical right now, hey? Yeah, right? It's a, it was one of those like, oh, yeah, I could see why you're desperate to get this message out there and to reach these people. Yeah, quite cool. Yeah, very cool. Going back to how you got those early users from your email list, how did you go about building that list in the first place and build the anticipation on the back end of that? Yeah, so... Um, a big part, it was, it was it was sort of three things that I did intentionally, and then probably some add-on effects from that. But those three were, number one, some, a, a relatively small amount of blogging. You know, when I was at Moz, I was producing a lot of content with SparkToro. I think probably in those 18 months, I maybe put out 30 pieces of content. They were mostly not around the product, but very centered around the problem that SparkToro was solving, right? So I was writing about, for example, the decline in Google's click-through rate, right? And the, and the challenges around getting traffic from Facebook, the, some of the problems with influencer marketing and the focus on paying half-naked people $500 to be on Instagram or whatever. The second piece that really helped was events and conferences. So I had been invited to lots of events and conferences when I was at Moz and that continued at SparkToro. And so I'd get on stages and give presentations and talk about sort of, you know, where web market is going and what the opportunities are, what's shrinking, what's still growing. That was also a big way that a lot of people became familiar with me and SparkToro outside of pure, you know, kind of SEO world. And then the third one was, I, I think what's called generally speaking, digital PR, right? Just contributing to other people's publications, other people's platforms, whether that's, you know, podcasts or webinars or online events or live streams or, you know, YouTube channels, stuff like what we're doing right now. And, and that became a lot of how uh, folks found out about us. You can, you know, you can see in our Google Analytics. I was actually showing some other entrepreneurs that I'm in a group with. Here's when you know this podcast was published, and you can see the spike in you know sort of people going to SparkToro's homepage and performing a bunch of free searches. Right, it, we've got the conversion, uh, the the golds tracked in GA, and so you know I can't prove that it came from that podcast, but it was published right that day, and here's the lift. So I'm pretty sure that is, you know, where that, that usage comes from. Yeah, that's been a, a big way that we've grow that we grew the list um, and have continued to grow since then. So digital PR, it really works. One thing I actually love about your content, especially, you know, recently is you're not afraid to say what you really think <laughs> about a particular topic. And <laughs> I am not. Before I get into a specific topic, uh, a specific example, I'd just like to ask you about your overall content strategy. More specifically, like how do you choose what to write about now? Yeah, so a, a lot of it comes from uh, conversations that I have with other people. I, I do much less of what I did at Moz, which was sort of like, okay, here are keywords that people are searching for in Google. Let me go create content that serves that searcher intent. 
With SparkToro, it's much more around, hey, I think this is a conversation of interest. Like, I think people are talking about whatever it is, clickstream data. So I'm going to publish something about that. Or I think people are talking about, you know, we, we did a big fake follower analysis of Donald Trump's Twitter following, right? A lot of people are talking about <laughs> I didn't that. See, I haven't yeah, seen that right? one. Like, um, uh, the you know conversation around Google's uh, half of less than half of Google searches resulting in a click conversation. I, I recently did a post the product market fit being broken right as a, as a as a concept. Uh, I am right in the process of writing a blog post because I've been having this conversation with a bunch of folks around why I like using consultants and agencies instead of hiring employees. And you know that's kind of a controversial opinion, especially in tech startup world. But mm, definitely. yeah, right. Like, I, well, what what is the answer to that question? <laughs> Just briefly, as as an agency owner myself, I'm dying to know. Yeah, that. yeah, sure. So, the, I love it for a bunch of different reasons, and I'm going to try and um, uh, write about these. But one is the cost structure makes way more sense for us, right? So, while a full time employee may on paper look like they cost less, especially in the United States with with like healthcare and those kinds of things it's way more cost infrastructure than you'd expect. Uh, the second is the variability of that cost. So you might, you know, in the United States, obviously it's, a it's an at will kind of country for, it's very easy to let people go as compared to like the EU or something. But at the same time, you don't realize the psychological challenge of letting someone go. You invariably, no, no matter how tough a boss you think you are, you will keep someone on three, six, nine, 12 months um, after it's been proven that it's probably not a good fit. And, um, and I think a lot of folks just, just don't realize that. It is also the case, in my opinion, around a lot of things that um, an agency, a consultant does, when you have the ability to see many companies and many companies' experiences with content marketing or with, hell, with taxes and, and finance and accounting uh, or with product strategy or with SaaS onboarding or it, like uh, we used an agency for conversion rate optimization recently. The ability to work with multiple clients gives you perspective that you cannot acquire exclusively internally working on one thing all the time. Like you will be myopic if you exclusively are working on SparkToro's funnel and, and SparkToro's conversion rate optimization, as opposed to, oh, we work with SparkToro and two dozen other people this, you know, over the last six months. And we, we can see the patterns, right? We can see what works and doesn't. We can apply those. You, you will get so much more value out of one hour of that person's time who's seen all those experiences than you will over someone who's only seen your own internally. And then I, I'll be honest, like I, I really like the, you pay for the, the work, not the time. Like a full-time employee, it's not, there's nothing wrong with them, right? Like I, I employed what, 200 plus people at Moz, right? And there are pl plenty of great folks. And I, I'm sure we will eventually do some hiring with SparkToro, but the ability to say like, hey, Tom, I want your agency to help us produce these, whatever, 12 pieces of content and get them ranking and, you know, get them to bring in, you know, this amount of traffic. And you're like, great here's the here's the cost for these 12. If it takes your team two months to do that or an extra month and you're behind, you'll email me and be like, hey, sorry, we're behind, but we're not going to charge you more. Like, we'll, we'll do the work we agreed to do. Value-based pricing all the way. Value-based pricing, project-based <laughs> pricing, right? Like, I, I pay for the thing and I get the thing. Employees, you're paying for the time, right? If it takes them more time or less time, you, you're paying the same. And 
Yeah. Look, there are advantages to, to full-time employees. Absolutely. Are they critical eventually to our growth? Absolutely. Do I have a strong preference to being agency and consultant focused and, and reliant in the short term? Absolutely, I do. Oh, that's the other thing. If your agency is not performing for you, it is so easy to go to another agency. <laughs> so easy, right? Because you, you, you haven't been, but if an employee is not performing for you, the process of letting them go and the process of recruiting and hiring a new person is an incredibly intense amount of work, right? Just, just not. So anyway, I'm writing a blog post about that. But the, this happens because these conversations often occur in a combination of environments like this one, right? Where I'm, where I'm chatting with, with folks like yourself and uh, on social media. I'm all, it's almost that I uh, look for topics of interest topics that resonate as opposed to topics people are searching for. So a different kind of content strategy. Yeah, yeah. What, what people are talking about rather than what's going to feed Google. Yeah. Um, your, your recent article on outreach tips actually seemed to get the lion's share of comments, uh, some of which were quite polarizing. I'm wondering what was the impetus for writing that article and also for us content marketers out there, how do you get over the voice in the head that tells you not to spill your guts on the page? Oh man. So, okay. Second part first, the voice in my head always says spill. I think I have an, something, you know, it's, it's both innate and learned bias towards oversharing more transparency being better. And, you know, you could, you could see that like in the blog post where I recently wrote about uh, stepping down from Moz's board, someone in the comments, I, I haven't gone through yet, but uh, someone in the comments who was just like, this is terrible. You're terrible. Everything's bad. You should be ashamed of yourself. How dare you publish this? Right. And uh, like, okay. I, I don't mind that, right? Like I want to elicit strong emotions. I want to, I want to lean into controversy and, and discomfort uh, so long as I'm being emotionally and logically honest. If that's the case, right? If, if it's coming from a place of honesty, then it is generally speaking, I, I want to share it. I, I feel that way. As far as where the, the blog post specifically about outreach tips came from, so I, so, oh, I think it was someone on LinkedIn had emailed or had uh, messaged me about SparkToro and they were like, hey, you know, we're, um, we're using it. We're trying to do outreach. Do you have like some recommendations and tips? So I was like, oh, that's a really good. Thing. You know what? I should point to some stuff. Let me go Google outreach tips. And I clicked on all of the top 20. And I was like, this is garbage. <laughs> and I think I even tweeted about it. I was like, I... I have rarely seen a crappier Google search result, set of Google search results than when I search for outreach tips. And some of them, I think I even called them out, like some of them were from people who should be doing, who should know how to do great outreach. Uh, one of them was from like Seer Interactive. I think the Seer team even was like uh, tweeting back and forth and they were like, oh yeah, we should, we got to clean that up. Like that's, <laughs> we're ranking in here and it is not good, right? And like, let, let, let's work on fixing that. So I published this uh, article that was like outreach tips that are way better than anything you'll find in Google. I don't, I think it still doesn't rank, but that's okay. <laughs> you're you're you keeping know. your um, journalistic integrity intact before looking for it to rank, eh? Oh man, maybe I'm wrong about that. Wait, do me a quick favor, Tom. When you search outreach tips, do you see it anywhere? You're number one in the UK, at least. <laughs> 
well, well, now I now I feel somewhat bad, right? Because the title of the post is "Outreach Tips Better Than Anything You'll Find Searching Google." <laughs> Ends on the word "searching" before it gets truncated. Better than anything you'll find searching. Dot 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 dot. The, yep. th the thing that you're doing right now. Just barely dodged it with that title length. <laughs> A little bit of serendipity today. Delightful. Delightful. I want to go back to this this last question I have for you. It, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about why you started Spark Toro in the first place. And one of the reasons I enjoy following you on Twitter is the same reason I enjoy your content. You're not afraid to get political where it matters to you, share your unabated thoughts and call people out when they need it. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we may take action and make choices through thoughtlessness and business acumen. But Nowadays, it's clear that's not good enough, not for consumers, peers, and certainly not employees. And instead of simply asking you, what can business owners do better? I think it's best to lead by example. So are there any organizations in any industry who you feel are operating in the marketplace with social responsibility in mind in a very obvious way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's actually a a surprising number. I think, you know, some of the, the most famous and well-known, uh, at least here in the United States, are, are folks like uh, Penzi's Spices and uh, Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. So these are like consumer brands that are leaning into this, but you can see it on the B2B side too. Hotjar recently, you know, did some, some very obvious like, hey, we're willing to take a reputational hit. We're willing to take a customer hit in exchange for living up to our values right? And representing. It's that tweet that actually, that conversation that gave me the impetus for that question, actually. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So yeah. like, like uh, when I see, um, when I see a company like Hotjar engaging in that, I, you know, I, I say, wow, you, so for folks who uh, aren't familiar with, with what happened, the Trump campaign basically was using Hotjar on their uh, campaign websites. So, some of their campaign websites, which were very misleading, right? So like, you know, misinforming Americans about what type of voting to do, uh, saying one thing like, hey, if you're in this state, we're encouraging you to do mail-in voting. But then if you're in this state, like uh, mail-in voting is evil and wrong and fraudulent, whatever. It's a, so they're just a bunch of problematic at best and, and unethical uh, and immoral at worst stuff. And Hotjar basically said, you know what, this is not the kind of behavior we want to support. And generally speaking, like the campaign has done a ton of very racially biased, intentionally racially biased things. You could see that uh, from like the Cambridge Analytica data from 2016 and in, in some of the uh, RNC stuff from 2018. So Hotjar basically had a conversation internally and said, we don't want to host, we don't want these guys on our platform. We don't want them using it. And we know it'll cost us business we know, like, obviously, we're not just going to lose the Trump campaign. Like, there'll probably be a bunch of other business owners who are like, oh, you're kicking Trump campaign off of there. I don't want to use Hotjar either. And they still did it. They still did it. They went public with it. The CEO wrote what I thought was a, an excellent blog post detailing exactly why and how the Trump campaign had violated their sort of terms of use. Seemed to me to be a very courageous move. It is a high PR risk move and they were still willing to do it. I find that pretty inspiring. And I think that if, if you are someone who supports applying those sorts of metrics and, and leaning into that ethics over you know, greed, you should support them, right? So I, I wrote about it uh, or I, I tweeted about it and shared it. Uh, I think Nandini, Nandini Jami, who um, runs Check My Ads, she was one of the co-founders of Sleeping Giants, 
brought it to my attention, brought it to Hotjar's attention. And then she, that's one of the few organizations I think that's really responded quite well. Uh, very impressive. Absolutely. And it's really good to see organizations like theirs actually do the right thing instead of following bottom line. Yeah. And do you know what? I imagine it's probably going to benefit them in the long run. I, I absolutely believe that's the case. I think that, look, you, you might say, well, you're going to turn off, you know, you're going to potentially turn off this segment of whatever the population who, who, I don't know, supports Donald Trump or votes conservative or whatever. I don't, I don't necessarily know that's, that that's the case. Like, I think there'll be some of those people who are whatever reactionary and they, they just don't, you know, they won't support you at all. And I think there'll be some of those people who are like, eh, I don't really care. Look, the Trump campaign violated your terms of use. Fine. I'm not violating your terms of use and I like your product. I'll use you. And, and then I think uh, on, on the other side of that, you will recruit and build your brand with people with whom your values really resonate. And I think that is a, a really positive thing. You'll, you'll have a better time you know, recruiting your team internally. I, I guarantee you, I mean, I know some of the people who work at Hotchar. I guarantee that a bunch of them are feeling really proud of their organizations these last couple of months, right? They, they're, not, they're not just loyal in terms of like, I love doing, you know, I like doing the work and I'm in a good working environment, but like, I'm really proud of my team, my CEO, my executive team or whatever investors. I'm glad to be here. I, you know, this is the kind of thing that um, endures past the event itself. What really is the job of a CEO once you start getting to scale, right? The job of leadership is to build great culture, build a great team, and then free them from structural friction so that they can execute on a good strategy. See, it seems like they've got, you know, that that is exactly what Hotchar is doing in this case. That, that was such a good answer like <laughs> I, th I think you know a lot of a lot of people hopefully who are listening probably haven't heard that story and are hopefully feeling quite encouraged so before i let you go i've got one last question right as someone who used to love adventure time should i watch steven universe oh man i mean <laughs> look i i love adventure time to pieces it is it is one of my favorite sort of stealth Shows, Do right? I see We're... a Jake behind you? Actually, oh yeah, now absolutely, you it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jake, Finn, Marceline, Ice King. I've got. Uh, I, I use uh, Lumpy Space Princess as my as my stand here. So for folks who aren't familiar, this is a ostensibly a kids' cartoon, which I, I think is is much more than that, right? And Adventure Time has, you know, beautiful messages, wonderful episodes throughout. It's not for everyone. Uh, Steven Universe, I think, is is similar. So the creator of Steven Universe is Rebecca Sugar, who did all the songs and music for Adventure Time. And she, with Steven Universe, I think someone said it really well, it is some of the finest art that's ever been produced. Like it has, it knew exactly where it was going the whole time. And that is so incredibly unusual in a television program to, you know, I think they, I don't know that they knew exactly how many seasons they had, but I think they must have. They must have known like, okay, we have 311 minute episodes to get to the story that we want to tell. And so we can lean into every, you know, little aspect of character development and world building and putting on this, this story that is so incredibly deep and powerful disguised as a kid's show. You, you'll, you'll love it, Tom. Like, honestly, I am, I am so jealous. I am so envious that you get to watch it for the first time. <laughs> 
Okay, that that is a glowing endorsement. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to pull the trigger. I have to I have to uh, purchase it on Amazon Prime over here, but I'll certainly do it. I reckon that is a perfect place to wrap things up. Rand, it's been a pleasure. I've had a really good chat. It's been fun. Yeah, Tom, uh, honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Before you dash, just a quick note to share a free ebook we just published called the Content Operations Playbook. If you're interested in content marketing and SEO, then this ebook is for you. We lift the hood up on our own editorial and content production processes from hiring writers, creating solid content briefs, polishing content to be the best it can be, and of course, distributing it to actually generate traffic. It's totally free and you can download it over at grizzle.io forward slash content ops. That's www.grizzle.io forward slash content ops. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to subscribe. We've got a lot of great conversations lined up with experts in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship coming up. Thanks again.